Good morning. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. And when you find that, please stand with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. Adoring God will be our focus today, this Christmas Sunday. Very appropriate to, to talk about praising God and glorifying God on Christmas Sunday. And I hope that it will be our joyful response every day. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. These are going to be very familiar words to you. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest! And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's word, and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this gospel truth that is very familiar in wording but is so specific in, in pointing out who Jesus is. Thank you, Lord, that this is the gospel truth that burns bright in our hearts and in our lives for your glory. I pray, Lord, that these, these familiar words would not get lost on, on, on us in the sense of us thinking we, we know it all or feeling like we've heard this so many times before, but I pray that 
that by your Spirit you would teach us and you would thrill our souls with, with the truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would be honored. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. This is Christmas Sunday. It's um, a time where people are wearing a lot of red and there's a lot of festivities going on and we've got decorations and, and all sorts of things. And you know, in, in three days it will be over. In three days those decorations will be obsolete. The trash cans will be filled with wrapping paper that's been wadded up and we will take down decorations and will be done for another year that's how a lot of people view christmas that's it's it's coming there's a build-up it's it's big and then there's the letdown afterwards now this year more than ever before i'm not sure why i didn't see this before but there is a common question that is asked every day thousands and thousands of times and you are asked this question and you ask people this question and it is this this question how are you doing? How's it going? We ask people this all the time. And we're not expecting an in-depth answer. Just a brief acknowledgement of it's going bad or good or everything's fine. But at Christmas time, that stock question that gets asked every single day, it gets replaced with another question. And that question is, are you ready for Christmas? I have been asked this question so many times recently. Are you ready for Christmas? Now, that question, they don't want a, a big dialogue of how I'm thinking about the incarnation and how I'm thinking about the true meaning of Christmas and how I want to worship Jesus in every area of my life. What they want to know is, are the lights up? Is the tree decorated? And did I buy all my gifts? That's all they want to know. A simple yes or no would suffice. And maybe a little comment like, man, it really snuck up on me this year. Or, oh, I'm so busy. Or the most annoying response of all, I was done at Easter. <laughs> Those people are annoying to us. People are not asking you if you have grasped the true meaning of Christmas. People are not asking you about the condition of your soul they're not now there is one group that is concerned about the condition of your soul they spend a lot of time they spend a lot of money and they spend a lot of effort trying to figure out the condition of your soul ad executives and marketing directors it blows me away. It never ceases to amaze me how they can tap into the hopes and the fears and the desires of the masses so well. Do you know that you are wanting things right now you didn't even know existed six months ago? There are some of you that say, I need a new one because the grill is different this year. You got one last year, but the front end is different now. You must have. You don't think you need until you watch a commercial or you see an ad over and over and over again to the point where you're like, I need, I want. Kids, there are things you want you didn't know you wanted a year ago. You're like, well, I'm so young, I just learned, you know. Yeah, we learn well, and it's so interesting. There's these claims. A, a car maker claims that if you buy their car, 
it can set your soul free. Set your soul free. What a promise they're trying to make. They want you to think that you will be happy, that you will feel better if you buy the product. Someone told me actually after first hour, they said, well, you know, if you buy it and die in it, and you're a believer, your soul is set free. So, you know, it kind of works. I think that's stretching it just a little bit, don't you think? Yes, and some of you are going, no. But we know better because God has something better. God has something better for us than this. Last week, in John chapter 1, we saw that the incarnation, God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ, is the true display of God for the true need of sinners so that we would truly worship God. And that's what I want us to focus on today as we're looking at Luke chapter 2. That if that is true, if the incarnation is the true display of God for the true need of sinners, then as we will see in Luke 2, adoration is the appropriate response of people saved by grace. We should praise God. We should glorify God. There's all sorts of shoulds in life, right? We all have these shoulds. I should do this. I should be praising God. Problem is, we know we don't. I think that there is a very small percentage of the population that actually is praising the glory of God's grace this Christmas. I think there is a greater percentage of the population that is, that is wrapped up in a lot of other things and their hearts get pulled away. In fact, I really uh, boiled it down to five options for responding to Christmas. Common responses that fall into several categories. And uh, the first is idolatry. Just plain old idolatry. And Christmas time especially, in Christmas idolatry is knowingly letting non-God substitutes for Christ and Christmas take center stage. Now, nostalgia can really cloud our memory and cloud our, our thinking and our understanding. I'll tell you, all sorts of songs that we all love at Christmas time, but they don't get us on point with Jesus. It's taking sleigh rides together with you and all sorts of cool stuff that gives us these sentimental feelings, but don't point us to Christ. Now, don't go away saying Mike doesn't like songs from Christmas, okay? By the way, I have nothing against Santa. Cool suit. I just happen to think mine is cooler. I have nothing against reindeer. I'm sure they taste great. I'm... So don't go saying, hey, you know, this guy doesn't like all these things. No, I love it. It's great, okay? It's the best. But I'm telling you, it's like a pebble in your shoe. It irritates you. You don't like it, but you don't want to take the time to get it out of your shoe. So you kind of just live with it. And I think a lot of Christians live with a lot of idolatry. And it's just, well, it's just a little. It's not that harmful. Now, there's something else. It goes into something else, and uh, it's lunacy. Number two, another option for responding to Christmas, just plain old, out-of-your-mind lunacy, okay? Total quackery. It walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's quackery, okay? It's lunacy. Really believing the Christ substitutes are the real thing. Now, you ask a lot of people, what's Christmas all about? They will never mention Jesus. They will fight with you about that. No, it's about snowmen, and it's about decorations, and it's about the love and all sorts of things and it's like uh, no it's about Jesus I got it right here in the Bible I tell you I show you but it's, it's absolute lunacy 
And this is not good. Lunacy bad, okay? All right, number one, idolatry. Number two, lunacy. Number three, blasphemy. That's a response that some people have to Christmas, and here's what you do. Celebrate the non-God gods of Christmas wholeheartedly with all your might while at the same time having animosity towards God. Plenty of people are like that. This is what it's about, and by the way, I... I'm, I'm resisting the truth with all my might. King Herod comes to mind. Here's Herod. He hears about the wise men who actually were magicians. Okay, so God is giving the gospel to uh, people that really need it. And he says, hey, uh, when you find the baby, let me know because I sure would like to worship him too. Liar! He didn't want to do that. He wanted to kill him because he didn't want anyone or anything and even a tiny little baby to impinge upon his power and his little kingdom on earth so there's blasphemy you simultaneously resist the truth with all your might and celebrate non-god gods of christmas fourth thing i'll bring out is gluttony and i don't mean eating a bunch of food now eat all the fudge and fruitcake and Taffy you want, okay? It's great, awesome. I'm not talking about that kind of gluttony. I'm talking about filling your life up with as much junk food of the soul as you can. And that's what a lot of people do. A lot of Christians will do this. They fill their hands up with as many things as they can and say, oh, give me a little Jesus on the side. That's not what God wants for us. That is is not. And your senses get dulled and, and when you go with the gorging yourself on as much as you can consume, then there's not a lot of room left for praising the glory of God's grace in Christ. I read this, this little thing a long time ago written by Wilbur Rees. It's called $3 Worth of God. You may have heard it. It goes like this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a person I hate or pick beats with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. There's a lot of Christians that are content they're happy with three dollars worth of god there's idolatry there's lunacy there's blasphemy there's gluttony and all these things are going to cost you dearly you say oh they're harmless not so fast there is only one sole response that will lead you to gospel truth at christmas and the only sole response that's going to lead you to gospel truth is adoration also known as doxology Doxology, it's a word that comes from two Greek words. Doxa, which means glory, and logia, which means to speak or to say something. It's speaking words that glorify God because of His greatness, because of His mighty deeds. Now some of you are saying, no, the doxology is that song I used to sing when I was a kid in church. I used to sing that too. I did not know what it meant. They would always sing it right when they were walking the offering down the the aisle, and I'd be like, what's a heavenly host? (laughs) I know it's something in heaven. I just don't know what the host is. And they says, the ye heavenly host. It's like old English. I don't know what this is. Interesting. A lot of people sing that doxology. The lyrics were written by a guy named Thomas Ken in 1674. 
And the phrase, that, that, that little song is just the last stanza of a longer hymn. And the hymn was called, Awake My Soul and With the Sun. But you might have sung the doxology when you were, were younger. And it goes like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts, the army of God, the angels. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Those are good words of praise to God. Praising God is necessary. Christians need to praise God. Those who are not believers need to praise God, but they've got to turn to Jesus to repent from their sins and turn to Christ if they want to do this. Adoration or doxology or praise to God is the proper response to the mighty acts of God. It is. Think about the people in the Bible that were directly affected by the incarnation. I'm talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph. Everyone that you see that was directly and personally affected by the incarnation at great personal cost would respond first in kind of a shock, a fear, and then in doxology and praise. That's what you see happening. Here's, I mean, take Zechariah, okay? That's Luke chapter 1. Here's this man. He and his wife are childless, and he is, they have been praying for a, a child, and an angel comes to him, and he's serving as a priest before God. Verse 12, Luke chapter 1. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel. Of course. That's what people do. They get fearful in the presence of the glory of God. Fear falls upon him. The angel says, don't be afraid. That's what the angels are always telling people when something good is coming. Okay? Be afraid if something bad's coming. This is good for you. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you'll name him John. Now, Zechariah doesn't believe this. He's thinking it's not true. And so God tells him something. He goes, you know what? You won't be able to speak. You will be silent until that baby is born. Now you go all the way over in Luke chapter 1 to verse 64. The baby is born, verse 63. He asks for something to write on. He still can't speak. He writes on the tablet, his name is John. And it says in verse 64, immediately... His mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke blessing God. He, he, he spoke in praise of God for his mighty works. He had nine months of silence. Couldn't speak. Now you take uh, Mary herself. Here's a, a, a young woman. Uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 26. Very, very familiar words. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you here's her response verse 29 but she was greatly troubled fearful she was afraid now here is a woman who is being brought in to a very humanly scandalous situation for the rest of her life she will be thought of as someone who who's Integrity and purity was to be questioned. She was going to have people talking behind her back, whispering behind her everywhere she went throughout her life. So she was greatly troubled about the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this was. And the angel says, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You're going to conceive. 
you're going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. He's going to be great and called the son of the most high God. What response does Mary give? When, when Elizabeth comes to her, verse 46, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm praising God. She's being consigned to a life of misunderstanding. She's being given the gift of scandal. She is being given a blessing that is going to seem like a curse to her at times in her life. And her response is, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoicing in God my Savior. Joseph. Joseph didn't want to marry Mary when he found out what was going on. And an angel of God had to come to him and said, you're going to do this. You need to do this. And he obeyed. But then you come to the shepherds. And that's what I want us to focus on today. The shepherds in Luke chapter 2. They have a very unique role in the birth of Christ. A very unique and important role on that very important night. And there's several reasons, by the way, first off, of why the shepherds are, are such an important part of this. And the first is this. It was not cool to be a shepherd. There were not kids running around going, when I grow up, what I really, really want to be is a shepherd. You became a shepherd if you weren't gifted. You became a shepherd if you weren't someone to be trusted. They were not seen as trustworthy. They were looked at with suspicion. This is one of the dirty jobs of that era. It was, among occupations, embarrassing. You didn't go to school and say, my dad's going to share today because he's a shepherd. You didn't do it. It was a very lowly position. It was considered untrustworthy and ceremonially unclean. I mean, you're working with these scraggly sheep and some scraggly shepherds. They're smelly and dirty and unclean. And it's very important for us to realize that God gave the gospel first to them. God gave the gospel first to the social outcasts of their day. Now, another thing to remember about the shepherds is that David was called from a shepherd's life. When Nathan was telling him about what God was going to do, he reminded him, you know, you know that you were a shepherd? Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that you were a shepherd, a lowly shepherd. You're a king now but you weren't then. Now, the good thing about shepherds is that in God's word, shepherds care for God's people. Shepherds care for God's people. And the shepherds here in Luke 2 represent people who joyfully receive the gospel. People who joyfully receive the gospel no matter what their station of life, no matter what their position, no matter what their status, joyfully receive the grace of God in Christ when they hear that Jesus died and was buried and was raised and will return and they believe and are saved today what I want you to do is learn from the shepherds how to praise God I think we think we know well you come to church and you sing some hymns and songs and you praise God and you you say good things about God and and um you know and maybe I'm driving in my car and I feeling good and so I praise God and something happens that's really good I Say, praise God. Kind of, if you're a Christian, you've got to do that, right? You, if something happens, it's good. You've got to learn this. If you're a new Christian, you've got to learn this. Uh, you've got to say, praise God. And people are going to go, yeah, that's right. So here's the deal. I want you to learn from the shepherds how to praise God. 
What kind of praise, what kind of adoration were the shepherds involved in that goes beyond what we think of as what praise is? First and foremost, I want you to see that your your adoration of God must be based on specific truth. Look at verse 8. Specific truth. Now, we're we're getting pretty specific here in in Luke chapter 2. It says that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. It's really hard for me to read these words and not think of, is it Linus? Linus, yeah. He read it so well. I could just hear his voice now. Um, In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. This is the split screen. While Jesus is being born in Bethlehem, Split screen, shepherds out in the fields. No idea that Jesus is being born in Bethlehem. Okay? They weren't going, hey, guys, let's get with it. It's on the calendar. We've got to get over there. Not at all. They were going to be very, very surprised by what happens next. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. They're minding their own business, doing their lowly job, not important. There aren't people going, hey, we're going to keep stats on these shepherds, you know, because they're so awesome, and we're going to have a little fantasy shepherd league. Nothing like this, okay? They have no, they're not getting attention. They're not getting any recognition. There's nothing going towards them. They're doing a mundane job. They're not special. Now, this angel shows up. They're filled with fear. In verse 10, the angel says to them, and here it is, very specific truth. A very bold proclamation of the gospel at the very hour of Jesus' birth. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, gospel news, gospel of a great joy that will be for all the people. I just think it's really interesting that he says in verse 11, unto you is born this day a Savior. For a couple reasons. First of all, it's today. The fullness of the time had come. This is the day that you've all been waiting for. God is is birthing the Messiah. But also because he says, for unto you is born. Now, whenever a Sherah kid gets born, here's what you say. We had a baby. Bring us a gift, okay? That's it. We don't say, Unto all of you is born this child that we're going to raise now. No, it's, you just don't do this. But here it's unto you, shepherds, little guys, lowly ones, and all the people. It's going to be great joy for all the people in the city of David. We're not talking Jerusalem here. We're talking where David was from, little Bethlehem. Right? Just think of the city that you don't like, that city. Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And you're going to have a sign. Now, usually you'd find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. It'd be a, some nice, warm, comfy wrappings you put around a baby to keep them warm. But, hmm, a manger. Now, that will be interesting. A feeding trough for an animal. That's going to be odd. There's the sign. Now, they get this news. Very specific truth. Very specific truth. Then... Then you've got a multitude of the heavenly host. The host means the army. The whole army of angels are with this angel praising God. 
So they say something in their praise. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's a lot of words, by the way, that, that Luke uses more than other gospel writers. The idea of bringing the good news. That's a Luke thing. He's very into that. It's awesome. And then joy. Luke uses joy more than Matthew and Mark all combined. And people. He says this is for all the people. 35 times in his gospel he talks about what the people are going to benefit from from God. And then today. He's big on the word today. He's big on the word Savior. He's big, big on the word Lord. He uses it 95 times in his gospel. Out of the 130-some times it's used in the Synoptic Gospels, 95 of them are in Luke. He's big on Jesus being Lord. And then the word glory. Verse 9, the glory of God shines around them. The Shekinah glory of God in their midst. It it knocked them down in fear because God is, is a consuming fire. He's amazing. He's holy. He's awesome. But Then verse 14, you've got the word glory again. Glory is the main point in this passage. The whole idea of glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. And then most of us have heard this verse this way. And peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And it kind of gets spun like this. Glory to God in the highest. And if you're really good to everybody, and you're really, really kind, and you're a good guy or a good gal, God will bless you with peace. Peace on earth. You know, right now as I speak, There are people working around the clock trying to get peace on earth. Trying to get people to get along and have peace. By the way, have you ever just watched kids playing? Kids playing. The other day I was at a soccer game for one of my kids and four little girls were playing. Now you already know it was a nice little playtime because there were four little girls. And they were having a grand old time. Not a care in the world. They were making plans. They were working together. They were, they were coming up with all these little things. It was fun to watch them. But if, I'm sure if I was their parent, I'd be thinking, how long is this going to last? How long until they get into a fight? How long before someone says, no, that was mine, or no, I want it this way? Because you put people in the mix, and there will not be peace. So what does it mean that on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased? It literally means peace for people of God's good pleasure. It's the idea of, of the doctrines of grace, of God's grace being poured out on undeserving people. It's the idea that God gives peace to whoever he chooses to give peace to. Not just you're going to have goodwill and be rewarded with peace if, you, if you're kind to people. You've got to get specific about the truth. What they, what they got was specific truth. Their adoration of God that day was based on specific truth. People get all generic about God. Oh, God bless you. This is what God. Oh, you know, I'm trusting God. What God? You've got to be very specific. The Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is very specific. Mary got very specific words. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. All these connections to King David. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. There was no doubt as to the identity of this child being born. 
There was no doubt in the shepherds' minds. In fact, what did they tell the people? Look at verse 17. They go to Bethlehem right away, and they tell the people what they saw. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They didn't go and spin it their own way. Hey, well, here's what we saw. There's a mom and a dad and a little baby. Weird, it was in a manger. No. They told the message that they received. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. By the way, this is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's what they told the people. They said glory to God in the highest. They glorified and praised God. Their their adoration was based on specific truth. So must yours be. You must get specific about who you're praising. John Owen said this, We must not allow ourselves to be satisfied with vague ideas of the love of Christ, which present nothing of His glory to our minds. The Lord Jesus Christ is the glory of God. There is no doubt about who He is. A lot of us, though, want to wallow in our circumstances. We get so focused on us and on what's going on in our lives that we miss specific truth focus on specific truth rejoice paul says rejoice in the lord and again i will say rejoice let me help you understand what rejoice means you like refried beans you like refried beans everybody likes refried beans don't give me that you like them here's the deal refried beans they were fried and then they get fried again refried okay they fry them over and over again here's the deal with rejoicing It's remembering the joy you have in Jesus and the mighty saving acts he has accomplished on your behalf. Rejoice. Remind yourself of the joy you have in Christ. Preach the gospel to yourself as much as you can about the truth that you know and be very specific about it. Parents worry about their kids all the time. Our kids are often following the path that we've carved out for them coloring inside the lines that we've set up for them what we got to make sure is with our kids and with ourselves with everyone we know we got to give them jesus the jesus from the bible not some generic representation show them christ preach christ crucified risen coming again be true to god's word that god saves by sovereign grace through sincere faith in jesus christ as seen in scripture and for god's sole glory you got to check your compass and make sure that compass has specific truth on it. So your adoration of God must be based on specific truth about Jesus and about God and about who, what He does and who He is. Secondly, I want you to look at verse 15. Verses 15 through 20, really, your, your adoration of God must be based on sincere faith. Sincere faith in Christ. It's like this. Here's a quote. God, excuse me, genuine faith produces, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't know what I'm, reading here genuine faith responds in genuine praise while the initial reaction is often doubt fear and countless questions like the psalmist the true believer comes to the point of surrender in real worship that transcends every circumstance we got to cling on to that idea what we say is I'm going to praise you as long as you bless me how I want to be blessed. As long as God speaks my love language, I will praise him. What did the shepherds do? Here's the shepherds, lowly, downcast, look down upon. They get this great news and they say, let us go 
over to Bethlehem, not so far away, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They're acknowledging that God has given them this news. They're acknowledging that what they got was from God, and they came and found Mary and Joseph. They saw Jesus lying in a manger, the sign that the angel told them they would see, and it says that when they saw it, they didn't just keep it to themselves. They didn't just reimagine it. They didn't just recast it. They said what had been told them concerning this child. They're acting by faith. Everybody hears wonders. Mary treasures it in their hearts. And they return. Where did they go? Have you ever thought about this? And they returned. Look at verse um, 20. And the shepherds returned. Where'd they go? Back to their old, mundane, nobody-wants-to-be-what-I-am job. Back to a bunch of smelly sheep with a bunch of smelly shepherds. They returned to their old life, but they were changed. Look into what was going on. They glorified and praised God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Sincere faith. They'll say, well, God, I'll praise you as long as you give me what I want. Sincere faith rests on simple truth and says, I'm going to praise you, God, no matter what. It's like Habakkuk chapter 3. If there's no cattle in the stalls, if there's no fruit on the vine, if everything's gone, still I will praise you. We got to get up, just like the shepherds, get up and go see what God has done and what he is doing and get involved in the process. Make the decision to not wallow in the mire. You might be going through the best time in your whole life right now. And people have to like tether you and pull you back down to reality. Or you might be going through the depths of the, the, the darkness, the, the dark night of the soul. The depths of despair. You look around. You who are going through the highest point of life you're going to find somebody that's going through a higher point. And, and you look around you who are going through the, the deepest, darkest, painful part of your life, you're going to go around and you'll find someone who's more painful than, than, in more pain than you. You know, sincere faith is more concerned about the souls of others than their own. Go to Romans 8.28. And for those of you that are thinking... I already knew you were going there. Give me another verse. I know all this. I get really annoyed with people like that. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things, hmm, all things. Good stuff, yeah. Bad stuff, yeah. You know this. I'm telling you what you already know. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? It says in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So all those things that God is working together for good are designed in your life to make you more like Jesus. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So those of you who want a different verse, 
I give you one. Verse 32. Let's go there. Verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You know what that means? God the Father didn't spare God the Son. He went through the worst pain. He went to the cross. He went for us. He substituted himself for us. So he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You're with me still, right? You're with me. Now think of the all things in Romans 8.28. Now read 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, here it is, graciously give us all things? you say well yeah I'm going to get all the good things that God promised me I'm claiming the promises you're misreading the Bible here's what it is that all things in Romans 8 28 is the same all things in verse 32 God graciously gives you all things that are in your life that are going to make you more like Christ oh so it isn't he's going to give me all the things I want Oh, it isn't that he's going to rescue me out of every difficulty. Oh, it isn't that I'm going to have as much money as I need to do everything I want. Oh, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't. No, it isn't. It isn't. God is good and great. You can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. If you don't hear anything else I, hear, I say today, hear this. Jesus loves you and he knows that our hearts are wicked and bent towards sin and bent towards doubt and bent towards blaming him for whatever might happen. And Jesus, who loves you, took the punishment for your sins upon himself on the cross the sins that you deserved to die for, he took upon himself so that we should turn from our sins. If you're not a believer, you need to turn from your sins in repentance to Jesus. Leave your sins, run to Jesus. If you are a believer, you need to turn from your sins and run to Jesus. See, it wasn't like... A one-month policy or a one-year policy or a one-moment-in-time policy that you were signing on for. It was a life of repentance. It was a life of faith. It was a life of trust. It was a life in Christ. Your adoration of God must be based on specific truth about who God is, especially in the person of Jesus Christ and what He has done, the gospel truth that was given on that night And it's got to be out of sincere faith. Do you know that the shepherds became the first evangelists of the New Testament? They went and told that gospel truth. What gospel truth? The one that says, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. One last thing. Your adoration of God must be not only based on specific truth and on sincere faith, but it must be 
must be flowing out of an acknowledgement of God's sovereign grace. I want you to take you back to verses 10 and 11. Because God says he's bringing it about. I'm bringing you good news. It's great joy for all the people. Unto you is is born this day. Uh, What has been provided for you is a Savior. So glory to God in the highest. John Stott said that all true worship is a response to the self-revelation of God in Christ and Scripture. And arises from our reflection on who He is and what He has done. The worship of God is evoked, informed, and inspired by the vision of God. The true knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. Here's the shepherds, surprised by joy, because it came from God, and he focused their hearts on Jesus. That's what happened. So you can know it is all of God, and he is the author and perfecter of faith, and it's all by sovereign grace, and there's joy in your heart because of God's saving acts on your behalf, and, and interestingly, you think you're praising God, and we all think you're praising God, because you are. But what you know, what you realize we acknowledge is I can only praise him because he granted me the grace to praise him God gives joy good news of great joy which will be for all the people because of the joy that God puts in your heart due to his saving acts on your behalf you can proclaim how excellent he is that's it Luke, by the way, is full of this. Luke chapter 5, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. He picks up his bed. He goes home glorifying God, and the people are amazed. They glorify God. Luke 7, Jesus raises a dead man. He glorifies God. People are amazed. They glorify God. Luke 13, Jesus heals a woman with a problem, and she glorifies God, and people are amazed, and they glorify God. Luke 17, Jesus cleanses 10 lepers, and one comes back, a Samaritan, and he praises God. Luke 18, Jesus heals a blind beggar and he praises God and people are amazed and they glorify God. And then Luke chapter 23, centurion, a centurion at the cross watching Jesus die. You know, the cradle and the cross are connected. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Here's the the, the centurion at the death of Christ glorifying God glorifying God and saying truly he is the son of God we think our joy filled praise can only happen when we feel better we think that joy filled praise is just simply a cry of relief and it can be that but we don't think we can praise God till things get better because we think praise comes from us and it comes from God. It's a gift of sovereign grace so that you can praise God in the midst of your highest point, which is very hard to do, and in the midst of your lowest point, which is even harder to do. From Him and to Him and through Him are all things, Romans eleven thirty six tells us. First Peter, Peter talks about uh, joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's the result of someone who's been saved by the grace of God in Christ. Someone who has been changed. Their soul has been thrilled by the gospel truth. Christ and Him crucified. 
There's a bunch of verses you might want to write down, but in, in Revelation, I just want to say this. We always say, we want to adore him. We're going to sing a song that says, come, let us adore him. We will adore him. We should adore him right now. You should want to adore Jesus. But also, you must remember, you're gonna, if, you're, if you're a believer, you're going to adore him forever. And Revelation is filled with glory to the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Praise to God. Because our exceeding joy, the the joy that God fills our hearts with, is for His exceeding glorification. Our exceeding joy, your exceeding joy, my exceeding joy in Christ is for God's exceeding glorification. That is gospel truth. God manifests the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere we go. And we are to live to the praise of the glory of God's grace. As the worship team comes back up, let me just say something about the shepherds one more time. When they came back, went back to their job, their job had not changed. Their reputation had not changed. Their station in life had not changed. Kids didn't automatically start saying to their parents, I want to be a shepherd when I grow up. But their perspective changed. Because God broke into their existence It's that whole idea of when I walk with God, His joy will always come. They were surprised by joy. They didn't plan their praise. It was a gift from God because of His love and grace. Savor that. Think about that. Relish that. Let gospel truth thrill your soul today, tomorrow, the next day, and Wednesday. Lord God, I thank You for the good news of great joy Joy from you that does not depend on our feelings or our emotions or our works, but on you, and it results in praise, that we decide, that we choose to praise you right now for your goodness in our lives, for giving us life, for saving our souls, for your saving acts on our behalf. Lord, we want to turn to you in repentance and faith and yield to your purpose in our lives. We want to adore you. In Christ's name, amen.